morning, everybody. Happy I'm a bit hungover day. And welcome to the News Agenda with me, Fleet Street Fox. And today I'm joined by The Mirror's online political editor, Dan Bloom. Morning, Dan. Morning. Uh, now, get into the comments. This is the People's Pay-Per-View. So get into the comments. Ask us your questions. We'll do our best to answer them for you. Those of you catching up later on podcast, I'm afraid you're just going to have to open a desk drawer and scream at the dust bunnies. So what have we got today? Well, the mirror has splashed on the absolute farce which unfolded yesterday as a plane that was supposed to fly to Rwanda with 31 asylum seekers on board, got whittled down to eight and then seven and five. And finally, even Pretty Patel realised it would have been embarrassing to have more stewardesses on board than refugees. So it didn't take off at all. So, Dan, can you take us through what happened? It was a very expensive day for the Home Office. How did all this come about? It's been a very expensive week. So last Friday, there was um, a high court case brought to try and get an injunction against this plane taking off. Why? Not because of the argument over whether it's actually illegal or not, because, but because they want to hold a, a hearing next month into whether the policy is illegal unlawful and the argument is that you shouldn't be deporting people to rwanda or removing them as the home office says um before there's been a high court ruling on whether or not this is legal so the high court refused that bid for an injunction came to the court of appeal on monday the court of appeal refused came to the supreme court on tuesday yesterday the supreme court also refused and then what was happening in the meantime was that the um individual people who were on the flight were submitting individual legal cases as well. So even though the flight was allowed to go ahead, the people on it were not necessarily because they were saying that they were victims of uh, modern slavery uh, and human rights abuses essentially by the UK government because they have fled you know, war zones and, and uh, troublesome regimes, uh, some of the people from uh, Iraq and Iran, that sort of thing. And uh, they, the last few people, I think there were seven people left on the flight yesterday lunchtime, they all started um, appeals to the European Court of Human Rights, uh, which granted one sort of interim in, uh, sort of stop on that person flying at about, I think it was seven o'clock last night. What happened was that as it approached the time for the flight to take off, the kind of weight of other challenges meant that the flight was, would have had to have taken off with nobody on it. So that's where, how we got to the situation now. Priti Patel is going to give a statement in the comments straight after PMQs. She's probably going to set out the next steps. They're going to appeal this in some way. They're making the point that the flight itself hasn't been stopped. It's only the individual people on it. So all these people who've got off the flight this time will be put on the next one. That's what Priti Patel is saying. So you yeah. can expect a very, very hardline response this lunchtime. Yes. Okay. So Rob says, so are we supposed to just allow anybody into this country it's the fact that we don't allow anybody into this country that means we have passports. Rob, that's what passports are for. And uh, when it comes to asylum seekers, uh, we have rules about how we treat them. And the argument we're having at the moment is whether or not you think those rules are right or wrong, is whether or not those rules are being applied properly. That's where we are. And a lot of people seem to have forgotten or not noticed that we're not sending failed asylum seekers to Rwanda. That's not the policy. Okay, The policy is all asylum seekers. Everybody who's a refugee could, in theory, go to Rwanda. She's not going to send everybody. She's only going to send men, she says. So that's just discriminatory, number one. Um, but the people they're going to send to Rwanda, we know that about 80% of the people who come across on who apply for asylum in this country, up to 80%, 
are genuine asylum seekers. So even if four-fifths, sorry, Dan, even if four-fifths do turn out roughly to be genuine asylum seekers with a right to be in the UK, they're going to have to stay in Rwanda. That's where they'll get the right to stay. They won't be able to come back, will they? Everything you say is right. It's really important to emphasise because the Home Office were uh, quite vague in the wording at first a couple of months ago about exactly what the legal status is. It's not that they have applied for asylum in the UK, been rejected and been sent to Rwanda. That's not true. It's that they've come to the UK by a means that has been defined as illegal um, by this government, uh, such as being on a small boat in the channel or on a fridge truck. Uh, and they are denied the chance to apply for asylum here and instead sent to Rwanda. It's a one-way ticket and told, apply for asylum in Rwanda, and Rwanda can always reject them. And the reason, the, the legal status is, is quite techy, but, you know, quite important. The government isn't passing any new laws to do this. What they are doing is taking advantage of sort of post-Brexit shake-up to the rules. So, that shake-up made it easier to deem people inadmissible for asylum claims in the UK. So you can't even put in a claim. If you have passed through a safe third country on the way here, so you've passed through France on the way here, and uh, people deemed inadmissible until sort of recently, they could be sent back to whichever the country they passed through on the way here, so be sent back to France. But the new rules also say they can be removed to any other safe country that may agree to receive them. And that's where the Rwanda thing is coming in. So they're using a sort of legal status that hadn't been taken advantage of yet. And so why aren't we sending them to France instead of Rwanda? Well, can you imagine the rows with the French government and Emmanuel Macron? And, you know, there are enough rows over just trying to police the channel properly and to stop the people smugglers on the other side. Can you imagine the kind of political football of that these people would become and already are arguably and with Rwanda you have a deal where you pay you know a more developing nation kind of 120 million pounds at least at first and uh, give a boot boost to their economy and in exchange um, they will accept people that essentially in short the British government doesn't want but then in return we're going to be accepting Rwandan refugees that Rwanda doesn't want so that's an interesting what they the part of the deal is this reciprocal thing where Rwanda can send some of its most vulnerable um, refugees to the UK. Uh, we don't think anyone's come here under that yet. I think it's possibly uh, some people from um, the DRC and it's in the in the tens, but I'm not quite sure about the details because they've been a bit fuzzy on it in the Home Office. Uh, but they claim it's going to be a very small number. But if if there are people who are too vulnerable, if there are asylum seekers that are too vulnerable to be in Rwanda, but it's not safe for them, how come we're sending asylum seekers there saying it's safe? So I think it's um, a very specific, this thing about the reciprocal deal is not because they say it's unsafe for asylum seekers in Rwanda. It would be a sort of a bit foolish for them to write that into the document it's a sort of specific set of circumstances but more broadly there is the problem that you know the Rwandan government it, it does have kind of uh, more controls over its own people there's kind of more paperwork there's an ITV reporter who's been out there has been saying people he talked to have already been reported to the government for talking to him uh, and there are kind of various historic things about uh, 
the government um, doing not so nice things to its critics. So, you know, without going into more detail now, although the reciprocal thing isn't necessarily saying they're in danger, they have to come here. There are wider human rights concerns and some human rights groups have raised concerns about Rwanda more generally. Yeah, I wouldn't fancy going there because they do tend to disappear journalists. Um, and even Boris Johnson doesn't do that. Now, Mike says, morning, Mike, can we please point out clearly that the European Court of Human Rights is not the EU and that the UK leaving the ECHR would severely impact the Good Friday Agreement that this government claims to want to protect? Now, Mike, you've done it again. You've uh, you've preempted me. So keep asking us your questions, so long as you're not Mike. But uh, as a result of all that kicked off all this happened yesterday, it kicked off on the Tory WhatsApp groups last night with members of the government, parliamentary private secretaries who are unpaid but are appointed advisors to cabinet ministers. They're technically part of the government, demanding that Britain cut up the Human Rights Act and pull out of the European Court of Human Rights that Mike was just mentioning. There's a bit of a problem with that as far as I hear this morning and we can't really do that very easily. Dan, are you able to explain to the viewer what the ECHR is and why we're in it? You've put me on the spot there. Bloody hell, Susie. Um, <laughs> Quickly Wikipedia. It's, 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 uh, it's the, the that came out of the Second World War, basically, isn't it? Yeah. Um, it's the European Court and the European Convention on Human Rights are the most important thing is that all the headlines are about European judges, about things like that. But it's something that uh, predates the EU, that is not part of the EU, and is something that is kind of intrinsically tied up with the human rights law in this country. And that's why, you know, the Human Rights Act is UK law, but is the coding of the European Convention of Human Rights into UK law. And that's why, uh, for years, Tory governments have said, we're going to pull out of the European Convention of Human Rights. Um, and it has never really happened, because it's so tied up with this problem. And and again, they're bringing forward a bill of rights type legislation but it hasn't happened yet what's really interesting is that um there was a prime minister called theresa may once upon a time who suggested uh that we leave the european convention on human rights uh and i think stay in the eu and boris johnson um argued the other way around that we should leave the eu and uh, stay in the european convention of human on human rights because it was a good thing so look how far we've come Marvellous. Well, you're a little upside down again, aren't we, pretty much? Um, as far as I understand it, Mike's right. It is tied into uh, the European Court, Convention of Human Rights, the European Court and everything else. It's tied into the Good Friday Agreement. And I think I'm right in saying, please Google it, people, if you think I'm wrong. I think I'm right in saying that if there's any kind of a problem either side of the Good Friday Agreement, whether it's Republic of Ireland or Northern Ireland, ultimately the European Court on Human Rights has the ability to adjudicate so that was how it was kind of the troubles were ended because it was made safe because you're saying, well, it's not the British government going to fix this out. It's not the Irish government. It's the European Court of Human Rights. Everyone in Northern Ireland has a human right to live there and, and live like this. Um, so if you start pulling out of that, then technically the Good Friday Agreement, it, which, of course, has been the bugbear of this government since, well, the, the previous government as well, since 2016, it's, it's, Brexit, it's all tied into Brexit. It's caused the Tories a huge amount of trouble because they can't quite get their heads around it. And now that it would seem that they're trying to still struggle to figure out a way to coexist with this, you know, Tony Blair, Bill Clinton idea of how to fix 
the troubles in Northern Ireland. And um, it's quite odd for the Conservative and Unionist Party to keep doing things which are going to affect the union quite this badly, perhaps. Now, keep asking us your questions. What do you think about this plane to Rwanda? Do you think it's a good policy? Do you think it's a bad policy? We've had several people today who come up who've said, you know, it's evil, it's bad government, we shouldn't be doing it. Somebody else saying, we're just letting anybody in, what are we going to do about it? Um, Sean says, pretty Amin, oh, that's nasty, is devoid of the humanity that afforded her own migrant parents sanctuary, not in our name. Um, It's not a terribly popular uh, policy nationally, but it is a very popular policy amongst Tory voters and in the Red Wall which is the part of the the vote that the Tories really need to shore up at the moment. So it's playing well to the people they want it to play well to. So it's a good idea for them to do it, perhaps. But the bishops have all come out against this. Prince Charles thinks it's appalling. The Border Force staff are among those who have taken their boss, Priti Patel, to court to say it's not legal. And it's finally being more widely reported that in return for sending refugees to Rwanda, the plane's going to be coming back with some on as well. Apparently, you know, some people are a bit too vulnerable to be there. Who knew that was possible? So, Dan, the government seems to be just beset on all sides, it would appear, by some unexpected critics. There's, to be honest, I, Border Force aren't really renowned as a bunch of liberal wets who who, who, uh, who do whatever some lefty lawyer wants them to. So what are the chances, do we think, of there being some kind of... I don't, I don't think there's ever going to be a U-turn, but perhaps a complete just collapse of the policy. Uh, I don't think a U-turn is very likely. I think a, a forced collapse of the policy um, against Boris Johnson's will is possible. And in a way, that will be exactly what he wants, although he wouldn't say that, because part of the reason for this policy was to, you know, in their words, to genuinely tackle the uh, people smuggling gangs to send a message, that sort of thing. Uh, but, I mean, it would be, although they deny it, quite hard to deny that part of the point of this policy was to send a message to voters that they're tough on us. You know, people coming to the country in small boats in the channel and on the people smugglers there. And, you know, it was all kind of a big headline that was unveiled, you know, it was unveiled at an airport near the coast by Boris Johnson and um, with big fanfare. Pretty Patel went to Rwanda with a press pack with her uh, to um, to kind of do things. And if it collapses, I think the point at which it does collapse will be several months in the future because you would have the High Court case next month. We don't know how long that will take to report back. That's sort of judicial review of the whole policy. Is the whole thing legal? And, of course, if the campaigners win in the High Court, the Home Office will take them to the Court of Appeal and then the Supreme Court. And the other way around, you know, if the Home Office wins in the High Court, the campaigners will take them to the Court of Appeal and the Supreme Court. Um, undoubtedly. So this thing is going to trail on for a long time and there are some in the Conservative Party that think it benefits Boris Johnson to have the argument. Now, uh, Sandra says, I'm not a Tory voter, but I think it's the right and only way to save lives. Uh, There are apparently lots of other things that can be done, but they're not being considered, Sandra. There are some other options to make because there are some people, for example, you know, if you're coming out of the war zone Eritrea, there is no legal way to apply for asylum there's nowhere you can go in Eritrea to ask before you leave it's not possible so you have to go to a a third country and ask there and then the according to the Tory rules you're in the third country you can't ask for asylum um and we do have this huge issue of course of people dying and drowning and, and coming across on small boats but it's still not as big as the issue of illegal overstayers 
uh, which also Pretty Patel tends to not really do very much about. It's 250,000 of them. There's 10 times as many as there are coming across on boats. But it's the boats we get to talk about all the time. Now, Herbie says, is there any truth they will send people from Rwanda in exchange? Herbie, have you not been listening? I've said it twice now, three times if you count this time. Yes, they are going to send people from Rwanda in exchange. We don't know how many. We will have to wait and see. Um, but very briefly, Dan, yesterday, I mean, obviously, they've got huge legal costs going on for the government side of things. The, the people who are campaigning against it, some are paying their own costs, but some are going to be on legal aid as well. So we're going to be paying for them to argue with each other and it pay for the court time. But what about the cost of that plane? Because it didn't take off. Did we get our money back? Um, apparently not. I haven't got, I'm not across all of it, but apparently the flight had already been paid for. And that is not a cheap flight. So the average removal flight kind of first bit of last year cost 167 grand, which is, you know, not a small sum, but it will have cost more than that because most of those flights were to Eastern Europe. Um, a lot of them were to Albania and Lithuania. And Rwanda is, to put it simply, much further away. Uh, so a flight is going to cost more money. So there have been estimates that it was cost half a million pounds for this flight, which would have had seven or fewer people on it. Obviously, originally they wanted 130, um, but that just kept getting whittled down. So the problem about the costs argument is, first of all, the government says that the um, asylum system is kind of costing uh, 1.5 billion pounds a year, 5 million a day on hotels. Actually, that's £127 per person on hotels, which puts it in a bit more perspective. Um, but the other problem is that when you say this flight cost an absolute fortune, both sides can use that argument because the critics of the policy say this is ruinously expensive. Can't you just open up more safe and legal routes for people, give more help to people, give more support to the French authorities to process people properly? Uh, instead of ship, get, letting people come here and ship them off on planes. And then the supporters of the policy will say, this cost an absolute fortune, this flight, and it was going to go, and it was the lefty lawyers who made it not happen. So every avenue that you pursue on this kind of ends up in this dead end of people arguing with each other. Um, and it's quite hard to kind of, once people have made up their minds, um, people often don't change their minds, and it's kind of, the cynics say that's one of the reasons the government's decided to do this. Yeah, uh, and it's worth pointing out it's not lefty lawyers that have stopped the plane taking off, it's the law. No, it's that's the law. The the, and also, also the, it's, you know, the bid for an injunction. Yes, Priti Patel won in the High Court, Court of Appeals, Supreme Court, but she didn't win a judgment saying this policy is legal. She just won a balance of arguments uh, against an injunction to stop the flight right now before a full hearing. And actually, the only reason the Supreme Court uh, said it, the main reason the Supreme Court sided with her was because the Home Office gave assurances that if in a couple of months' time this policy is found to be unlawful, the, um, uh, the, all the people who've already been flown out there will be flown back to the UK. What? <laughs> um, yes, it's in, it's in the agreement that the UK doesn't have to take anyone back from Rwanda unless unless um, they're legally obliged to. And the Supreme Court justice said he'd had an assurance that if the policy was later found unlawful and 100 people had already been flown out, they would be taken back to the UK. Oh, how absolutely spiffing and marvellous. 
all going so well, isn't it? Now, uh, keep asking your questions, everybody. Where are you standing on the asylum seeker question? Uh, do you think this is fine and reasonable and they should be going to Rwanda? There's nothing wrong with it. Or do you think there's, you know, the government is just acting contrary to compassion in this particular instance? Not that that's a particularly leading question, is it? But we do have some other stories to talk about. And so Pretty Patel does still need to look tough on asylum seekers. And today she's cracking down, cracking down on a four-year-old girl called Alika, who uh, fled the war in Kharkiv in Ukraine with her grandmother. Now, uh, the pair went to Poland, uh, where the grand got a visa to come to Britain as an asylum seeker. But Alika was refused on the grounds that she was an unaccompanied minor. She has now been sent back to the war zone. That's the little Alika there. Now, Dan, it does seem to me that unaccompanied four-year-olds might be the asylum seekers we should be the most warmly welcoming to. Why, 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 why didn't we let Alika in? So uh, I'll preface this by saying the everything I know about this story is what I've read over there uh, in the mirror. Um, but I mean, you can you can understand the reasons for having different rules for unaccompanied minors, different schemes them not being eligible for homes for Ukraine and having different rules instead because there are so many kind of child trafficking uh, type risks with this sort of thing that are very, very serious. However, if Alika was travelling with her gran <laughs> and they'd done everything they can to, to do the thing, this is clearly a case of someone falling through the cracks, isn't it, of, of different schemes and of different rules that haven't managed to capture the human situation in this yeah. instance. And this seems to be one of those classic cases that you would hope the Home Office will look at kind of very urgently and, and come up with some kind of solution for, because if it's, if it's all as it says here, you know, they've tried to do the right thing. They just haven't done exactly the thing that they're supposed to do under the rules. And, um, I don't know how you can go back and get up from Kharkiv now, though, because the grandmother's the fled, uh, and it's probably, presumably because it's not safe for her, um, now, the, the part, as far as I understand it, the rules uh, were that um, she had a, a letter from her mum and dad, right, which the grandmother had, giving her um, the right to take Alika out of the country to safety. But that wasn't enough for the Home Office. They ruled that she was only a temporary guardian for Alika and that therefore, you know, potential people trafficking, whatever, child trafficking, and, and there's no guarantee that she's, she's not the legal guardian of Alika because the legal guardians can't leave Kharkiv. I don't know why. It doesn't explain in the story. Presumably they're, they're unable to leave for some reason. They've tried to get their daughter to safety. Um, but I don't know how. If the parents can't leave, they can't take Alika back to the gran. The gran who's got asylum in Poland probably can't go back into the war zone to get her. So poor Alika just got bussed back on her own and is sort of stuck there. And by the time the Home Office have done some kind of review, uh, let's just hope she's not been bombed, eh? Now, Maria, uh comment there just came up, says, I'm just ashamed of this country. And I sort of can't say, I, I can't do anything but agree with you, Maria. I hang my head in shame, as she says. It's unbelievable they're treating people this way. That's Alika with her gran, I think, in Poland. Um, she was in safety, this little girl, and she's been sent back to danger, which does seem like we're cracking down on entirely the wrong people. Well done, Pretty Patel. Another good week for you, I suppose. Um, now, keep asking us your questions. What do you think about Alika's story? What do you think about the Rwanda story? Let us know. But... 
First off, we do have some good news in the world. We've managed to find some, something that will cheer you up a little bit after all this. Uh, and here it is. Hopefully. That was my fault, because I didn't give them a heads up. We were doing the good news next. Whoops, a day. Yeah. Do you want me to do the jingle? The... Yeah. <laughs> yeah, next time. Um, uh, so this is a story about a, a wonderful story about a guy called Doug James, who's 67, and he went to a killer's gig uh, and went crowd surfing. And Brandon Flowers, the lead singer, leapt down to help him because he got dropped. Oh, my God. He got dropped at some point. He fell off the crowd and hit his head and got had a head wound, was bleeding. And Brandon Flowers leapt down to help him, got him to safety, and asked him, what are you doing, mate? And he and Doug just replied, I'm enjoying myself, which I think is rather marvellous. Dan, do you think, is this proof that the killers have got entirely the wrong band name? Because actually they were helping <laughs> people from danger. Uh, so it would seem, um, I should go see them again. It sounds great. But what I can say is that, I mean, all power to Doug, because my dad is uh, 69 and would not do that in a million years. And more importantly, I'm 34 and would not crowd surf in a million years. Yeah, I wouldn't crowd surf. <laughs> it's extremely dangerous. Perhaps it's a lack of trust for the great British public. No, no. Um, <laughs> someone would drop me. They'd see who I was and drop me like a stone. Yeah, well, um, he did get dropped, poor old dog. He smacked himself on the head, yeah. but at least he did get to meet Brandon Flowers, so maybe that's cheered him up a little bit. Um, but maybe maybe it also shows, you know, if the, if the government won't look after you, perhaps we can rely on crowds to lift one another up. The great British public will carry us through. <laughs> Who knows? Anyway, um, thanks, everyone, for taking part. Thank you, Dan, for joining us and explaining all that. Uh, we'll be back again next Monday for another edition of the News Agenda. Bye-bye, everybody.